This is Near FM. 90.3. Now it is time to welcome back to uh, Northside today. Regular contributor Alan Tuffrey. Alan, good afternoon. Lovely to talk to you again. I believe you were out of the jurisdiction, but not out of the country, and that you had a good weekend. Well, there you are. Uh, yeah, well, it's lovely to be talking to you, of course, uh, in sunny Rohini. And we've just had a scutter of rain here, but not enough to do any harm or any good either. Uh, I was out of the jurisdiction. I, I was in the wee north for the weekend at a conference. Uh, consequently, I'm a little bit exhausted. <laughs> There's nothing as tiring as sitting in a lecture theatre for three days uh, being instructed or entertained. Uh, anyway, that, uh, I, I won't bore you with the details of that at the moment, although there was some stimulating stuff. Um, but yes, we're, it's good to be back. Now, we're going to discuss something this morning, which is, I find it kind of fascinating in a way because we're going to talk about cliches. Now, I mean, what's a cliche as opposed to what's a a throwaway comment or a saying or, you know, the cliches to a large, huge extent, I think, have sort of been incorporated into everyday language now. We hear them regularly, you know. Oh, we must do better going forward is one that has come into oh, political creepy. lexicon. Exactly, Doesn't yeah. That make your flesh creep, that particular one, yes. Yeah, but do you understand what I mean, Alan? Like, I when do, did they stop yeah. being cliches and become everyday language, basically? Well, that is an, that's a very interesting point, as ever. Well, a cliche is a phrase which is overused. Now, that's obviously a subjective term, and... Um, it was once a fresh and lively thing, and it was a new thing. Somebody made it up in the first place, um, and we might come to some of those in a moment. But they're overused, so they're hackneyed and they're tired, and they don't really convey much meaning. You might as well be just making a couple of grunts, actually, because it doesn't say anything. No, that's not to say they're not useful in some sense. Uh, one definition I, I like, which I came across from um, looking at, doing some research for this. I mean, I don't make this stuff up, you know, on the spot. It's all prepped. Um, it's when you, when somebody starts to say something, you know how it's going to finish. And that's a cliche. You know, you just know it's going to say, and you say, going forward. You kind of feel going forward is looming at the end of a sentence or an utterance. And you think, oh, he's going to say going forward. Oh, no, please don't say, it. oh, there it is. It's, you know, like a poke in the eye each time. I mean, one of the biggest source of cliches and it's an old old joke is oh that play Hamlet it's just so dull it's full of cliches but those lines were probably fresh when Shakespeare wrote them what 400 years ago um, and they, they're terrific uh, and they were terrific but you know uh, I, mean, I just looked up a couple this morning uh, just to find a couple of cliches I mean Hamlet is full of them. there are websites listing these things for this relief much thanks or we shall not look upon his like again. Now, how many times you hear that line at practically every funeral you go to, uh, or the afters of every funeral you go to? And there are lines, and those are those were all original, perhaps five hundred, four or five hundred years ago. Now they're part of almost everyday speech, um, and they tend to be. Well, some of us are a little bit oversensitive, perhaps. Um, and I, I think there's a thing when you, once you start to think about cliches. Um, then 
you become hyper aware of them and that your own use of them. I've found that in the last week or two while I've been thinking about this. Um, and you kind of hesitate before you speak and say, am I going to utter another cliche? And that's one of the problems with speech. You, it's hard to call back. Alan, um, what's the difference yeah. between a cliche and something which has entered uh, politics? No, she who shall not be named kind of tried it, but I don't think Thank that you. she intended to use them as catchphrases or cliches. But most certainly, most certainly, Donald Trump did. He really was the master of it. You know, make America great again, all these yeah. things. And then his mirror image across the pond uh, went down the same route with get Brexit done. All these sort of three-word catchphrases. It's like a hook for people. And the latest one now that he's using to cover up his latest uh, shenanigans is... Uh, what is it again? You know, it came to me the other day, and I was li- listening to him throwing it out the other day. Oh, get on with the job. Get on with the job. That's, ah, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Don't be looking over your shoulder and look at the mess we've made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think those are slogans. I mean, catchphrases and slogans are probably very close together. I haven't given that much thought. But they're slogans. What they ought to offer is a solution to a complex problem. Uh, and if anybody offers you a simple solution to a complex problem, you should uh, suck your whiskers and say, hmm, I think I'm just going to look behind what they're saying and think about this before I begin to agree with them, because that's usually wrong. And, and then, you see, and that's perfect. Oh, this is this is so beautiful. This is what a, what a fantastic segue this is into exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Because one of the most famous cliches, and I throw it out here regularly to people when I'm trying to explain something to them, it's not rocket science. You know that that's it doesn't annoy me. I just think it's not a very good cliche. Um, because I don't think rocket science is very complicated. It's in the list. It's in the top ten of cliches to be avoided in, in the Guardian style guide. I think that one. Uh, yeah, it's not rocket science. It's it's in there. I think it's the Guardian. Oh no, it's uh, it's, it's another list. Uh, but it's one of the most popular ones, or should I say, most popular meaning the least popular. Uh, the, uh, it happen. I happen to think that rocket science is relatively simple. Uh, I may be wrong about this because physics is not one of my things. Uh, but it's essentially Newtonian physics, which is what five hundred years old. Um, I think if you wanted to say it's not something science, I suggest to say it's not neuroscience. Now, if you want something that's really hard, neuroscience is really hard. How the brain works is a seriously complicated issue, and we are in the uh, moping about in the foothills of life, uh, as uh, Dougal said. Dougal from Magic Roundabout, not Dougal from Father Ted. Can um, I suggest to you that maybe yeah. people don't use the phrase it's not neuroscience because a lot of the people who live using catchphrases or cliches or whatever slogans wouldn't understand what the word neuroscience meant. Well, that is that is possibly true. So I may be being utterly unfair. Uh, that's all right. I don't mind being a little bit unfair and something trivial like that. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I, w- I would make a comparison um with cliches, you've made the comparison with slogans, and I would make a comparison with something called in the trade, vogue words, words which become very popular, and you see them all over the place, 
for a very short time and then they fade away again most often um, and my favorite example favorite means the exact opposite here the one that causes me to wince very slightly being a delicate flower uh, is pivot for a little while there every every business was pivoting meaning they were adjusting to the obviously the big changes that we've had in the recent past but businesses were pivoting they weren't just changing anymore they were pivoting uh, now that word seems in the last month seems to have just faded away and it's not being used anywhere near as often um, and actually it occurred to me another kind of not quite a cliche perhaps um, you might call in the trade they might call it an intensifier words that are used to emphasize meaning or attempt to give emphasize meaning and I'm thinking particularly of uh, some swear words which are extremely popular in some some cultures and some mouths and when when they are repeated they lack force anymore and that's the thing about cliches they don't actually have the force uh, and energy of speech that you'd like them to have which is why uh, that well-known uh, prescriptor of language in German was Orwell George Orwell uh, for my money, one of the finest writers of English in the last hundred years, probably. Um, very fine. Not much read now. I found the students, when I mentioned Orwell, too, don't even know who he is. They well, I would suggest across. if anybody wants to get a... I don't want to use either a cliche or a catchphrase now. I don't know which one it is anymore. <laughs> uh, if they want to get a handle on modern politics oh, and how it works, read Animal Farm. Yes, Animal Farm is a, is a great one. Um 1984, I think, is a book that everybody should have read, preferably before they're 25. But it, it is a scarring book. At least I found it. So I probably read it when I was about 20. Um, and I was recently minded to write a piece about 1984, you know, some 50-plus uh, years later. And I was blowed if I was going to read it again because it's such, I find it an utterly traumatic book. It offends my deepest sensibilities uh, in a good way and uh, makes you more aware of them. So, and I wrote this piece without rereading the book at 50 years plus difference. Um, and I did have to look up some things online because online things now you can look up crib sheets for any piece of literature that's ever been on a school syllabus. Uh, and I had to check a few details of names and things. But that, and I was quite impressed uh, and horrified in some ways that I had such a clear recollection of the key points of that book but he was a wonderfully clear writer and he wrote a, an essay on politics and the use of English or some such title and at the end of that there is this a list of guides to writing good English there's about 12 points in it of which one is never use a metaphor simile or other figure of speech which you are, you are used to seeing in print so don't write it's rocket science. Now, writing is different from speaking because you can rewrite. And, you know, I'm forever telling students, writing isn't writing, it's rewriting. Um, so the first thing you write down is only the start of getting something right. So if you read something, write something rather, and you notice that it's got boring, deadweight phrases in it, the first thing you do is get rid of those and re and most of the time they're not doing any work anyway and your your piece is usually better for just deleting them never mind putting anything else in their place 
Alan, um, is it is it yeah. is it a, a sort of a gin and it's something that we always seem to come back to? Is it a sort of um, dilute, diluting the English language in a way as well? And I just want to come back to something that you mentioned there earlier, and uh, you took me back actually to my school days, which was um, <laughs> neither last week nor the week not the week before. Can I say? But you mentioned that uh, we have in the last. Mm, 12 months, possibly 18 months, heard the word pivot used so many times in relation to businesses who have had to pivot. Uh, mm. Now, it came to mind that, and I would please do correct me, you must correct me if I'm wrong in this statement, but I think that's an incorrect use of the word. Because from my recollection of my school days doing uh, mechanical engineering, a pivot point was the point on which something balanced as opposed to what they're talking about is a complete change of direction, which is not a pivot. Yeah. Am I wrong or right? Well, I, I'm going to bow to your superior knowledge of mechanical engineering. Uh, I, I detested. Uh, we had to do tech drawing at one time. Do you, do you remember tech drawing? Uh, oh, I do remember I it extremely yeah. well. And would you believe it even to this day, there were the basics of it that I learned at the time and I still use it if I'm doing some DIY. There you are. Well, if you say the words DIY, I'm about to run a mile or even 1.4 kilometers or whatever it is. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people, I can look at a piece of paper and it's a mess. Before, practically before I put a mark on it. So T, TD with all those uh, root, with the T square and all of those things and fancy angles. Ah, I, I used to spend, what, two hours in that class and would be nearly in tears at the disaster I had made. Anyway, happily when I was in fourth year, they decided that we should do O-level English language that year, so we were dropped out of TD. So I was a happy bunny. Well, if anybody if anybody out there uh, thinks I'm wrong, please do correct me. But I think a pivot point is something on which uh, an item is balanced, not uh, a complete... And not here we go again, that, back that into the mathematical you, you terms. Yeah. He has done a 180. There's another one for you. Well, I suspect... I hope there are some seriously nerdy people out amongst our audience who are going to listen back to the podcast and count the cliches that we've used in our conversation as opposed to examples of cliches. <laughs> I think but that isn't that too. really the point of what we're talking about in this it is. particular discussion, the way that they have become part of our common everyday language? You know, and I mean, they're, uh, yeah. we I mean, see it there. Like, I mean, few... here's one, and, and, and I, I noticed you sent it to me in the... Uh, in the little uh, briefing document which you so kindly send every week. Believe me, my friends, I am not really this intelligent. Alan sends me a briefing document. <laughs> no, don't Don't run yourself down. Let other people do that for you. Oh, yeah, there's no scarcity of them. Uh, <laughs> we are hearing for the last uh, six, eight months about a price hike, fuel hike, everything. One, yeah. Hiking now, one, yeah. a hike to me used to be when you went up and down a mountain you hiked up and down a mountain or <laughs> yeah. no it can also be used I suppose in an elevation uh, yeah, sense of the word yeah, yeah but prizes, yeah. a price hike I, again yeah. it's a phrase you'll hear it a hundred times today in different media outlets but 
strictly speaking, incorrect use of the word again? Well, it's, it's not, it may or may not be incorrect because words do change their meaning and their meanings get extended, which may sometimes I think is a problem. But uh, hike is, there's a, do you know, the good old Guardian. Uh, now, Guardian, uh, sorry, it's actually not the Guardian. It's a, it's a, a, a campaign for pure, the plain English campaign, which is a very useful web uh, website. They have a list of verbs overused or misused in headlines. And hike is one of them uh, that I've actually picked out as to look at. Now, it's a headline word. That's where you usually see it. Now, headlines are a very curious form of writing because they are very heavily constrained by space. You've got to get the headline into a, ideally one or two lines at the top of a column or a few columns. So you're tightly for space. And the poor sub-editors, and I've got a lot of time for sub-editors because they're not many of them these days are probably badly paid and they work close up against deadlines on other people's late copy so hard hard time but hike is a good example of an uh, utterly unnecessary word it might be a vogue word or it might be a cliche because it is replacing a word rise it's a price rise price hike may sound a little more dramatic perhaps it does that nice hard k sound is quite good but it's rise and hike are exactly the same length they're nice short four-letter words they're the same length as far as i know in type so hike offers no advantage in terms of space so it's an unnecessary use now okay a bit of variation is good but even so there are a couple of others that of those verbs actually probe you get government probes now you can see for a headline writer Inquiry is what you really would like to use, but maybe you haven't got room for inquiry, which is about twice as long as prose. probe. So um, the one that drives me nuts is unveil. Uh, what well, drives me nuts? I mean, it's a trivial uh, thing. It, it doesn't really drive me nuts. I just like to fret about it a bit. Um, like you, the idea of a new football signed person uh, being unveiled it conjures up to me an entirely ludicrous image of a literal unveiling. You know how you have a painting or a plaque or something covered in a cloth and somebody pulls a string and the cloth drops off it to, to reveal it. Now, can you imagine doing that to a footballer? Uh, or even a doctor? Glad I couldn't because most of them in the Premiership would get injured if that happened to them. <laughs> They'd certainly roll about on the floor, I think, don't you? <laughs> Yes, I think that's right. Uh, they're very good at rolling on the floor, some of them. Uh, it would appear from... I, I only see this stuff out of the corner of my eye. I see I'm, another one there. And I have to say, Alan, I, I had to mute my microphone because I was laughing so so loudly uh, when I saw it. <laughs> it still brings a smile to my face. Downsizing the workforce. Now, to me, oh, yeah. that conjures up a, a an image of... Uh, an employer hiring uh, vertically challenged people. <laughs> yeah, I think I made that one up without checking it, actually, Donny. So uh, we won't rely on that too much for comment. But I think it's the sort of thing you hear, downsizing means cutting, reducing. Uh, and it's an utterly useless, it's inflated language, isn't it? It means nothing new. It just sounds pretentious and slightly glosses over the unpleasant side of what you're saying. And business speak is like that, isn't it? Um, 
I've got a list. I mean, I've got a list of cliches right here in front of me. I could do the next hour on cliches, and our audience would run screaming towards the hills. I'm not sure where our nearest hills are, but they'd run screaming to them. Um, ballpark figure. You've heard that one occasionally. I use it myself regularly when I when I know that the person I'm asking the question of wouldn't have the exact figure, but all I need is something roughly to put well, the uh, to put the interview in perspective. It's a useful shorthand sometimes, yes. Uh, but you string a few of these together, now you have some different kind of prose altogether. It's pretty awesome. um, Bring to the table. Let's bring it to the. Oh, my, one of my favourites is what, what I, it may even be a spoof one. Let's run it up the flagpole and see who salutes it. Have you heard that one? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, um, and of course, we're very good at it around budget time in the political sphere because we continually fly kites. That flying kites is another one, yeah. One uh, of my uh, current pet hates, and they vary because they're going at, in, particularly in headlines, but not solely in headlines, uh, things are being given the green light. They mean approved. Yeah, one word would actually have done... And, and it's approved is probably shorter than given the green light. Now, OK, you might have to fit it onto two lines. and You know, if it's a headline, uh, you can see there might be cases when you could justify it on, purely on physical space. But it's an it's an unnecessary metaphor. It's referring to traffic lights and trains and things. Um, we don't need it. Um, like you, I'm conscious of the clock, so... They, We've spent a lot of time, we can do hours on examples of cliches, and I haven't even managed to get the, the great Miles Nagopolin in here, so I think we'll save him for another day. Um, but uh, they, they, are, they can be useful cliches, because you know, if I say ballpark figure, I know what you mean straight away. And you're conveying a meaning. We share those as a culture. Uh, and uh, we might quote, many of us would quote Shakespeare or somebody else, or books you did at school, and you, you quote those, and you're emphasizing your common culture with somebody you're talking to. So that, 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 uh, that's a kind of useful thing. Yeah, and uh, another great one, and, and you're talking about, yes, we understanding each other's uh, dialect, but <laughs> there's a very famous one um, which I throw out to uh, some American people, uh, I was going to say when I can find some that are capable of uh, t an intellectual conversation. Steady, steady, steady. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a friend of mine said, a Canadian is uh, best described as an intelligent American. But anyway, uh, I digress. And it's one that we use here all the time. And I'd say when when you uh, came to these year fair shores, it probably knocked you back for a while trying to figure out what they were saying. And it's a very simple one, any crack. Now, I said that to you, if we were to meet uh, on some occasion in the very near future to uh, blow the froth off one or two, and I say any crack, you fully understand what I mean. Yeah, or, or watch the crack, yeah. If I was to say that to some of our American cousins, they would be, I would venture to say, probably scrambling for a drug dealer. Probably. Uh, yes, I think, and that, that's not unreasonable. I mean, it's a it's a, a peculiar local, as you say, dialect. Word. I understand it. You understand it. Somebody who doesn't speak Irish, English, or uh, I don't know, is that a Cork expression? Any 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 crack in that form? I don't. It's not one I've come across. I would say, what's the crack to somebody? Yeah. 
the same thing but it's just amazing that when you cross the ocean that it has a completely totally and utterly different meaning absolutely <laughs> you know it, it just no it bears absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to what it means here and likewise I mean they use phrases that mean totally different things here as well it's not just confined to us we're not unique in that one Oh no no! An American, we've talked about American English. Well, last day out, we were talking about American English. They have a whole different phrases. I've, I've lost one, a recent one. Alan, tell me this: yeah. How responsible for this are the media and politicians? I mean, I would imagine that the ordinary person on the street, if they didn't have the outside influence of the media or politicians. They would not be using the half of these cliches. Yeah, that as usual, Donny. That I think that's a very good point. We hear them so often, and people have to front up and say something when there isn't much to be said, which is what I suspect politicians are compelled to do from time to time. Uh, and they may be trying to uh, smooth over unpalatable things from time to time. Then, uh, yes, I think they come out with empty phrases just to fill up the space and we're hearing them probably too often um, and I I mean I, I notice them because part of my is, is looking at other people's writing uh, and commenting on it so I tend to notice uh, cliches you know so a sharpened a heightened awareness for them that's right you can't have a sharpened awareness you must have a heightened awareness there's a cliche for you um, so there but the thing to do is particularly in writing I don't think it's quite so important in speech but try to get out of the habit anyway I've got three R's as the thing to do is recognise them reject them and revive your language there you are do you like that do, I would always I would certainly delete them in writing unless you're trying to make a point sometimes you might be being ironic to somebody you know well we can't all be sparklingly original all the time when we speak uh, we've just proved that in the last 25 minutes probably uh, but you have to say something and that's what cliches perhaps do they fill up the space and they may indicate that you haven't very much original to say anyway yes and, and you just reminded me there of uh, coming from your own profession or a couple of rungs down the ladder from your from your profession to three hours used to be reading writing and arithmetic now that's right as yep. we all know that's two hours and an a <laughs> yes well that's that's why i was only good at two of them <laughs> Regular contributor Alan Tuffrey. Alan, as always, as always, the clock has beaten us. It has been an absolute joy. And you know something, I keep saying it, talking to you is better than a trip to the doctor. Until we chat again in a fortnight's time, you take care of yourself and thank you so much for your very, very laudable and intellectual contribution to today's programme. Uh, always a pleasure, Donny, to talk to you. Take care. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 90.3.